and welcome to the Totally Clinical podcast, brought to you by Techro. Totally Clinical is a deep dive into the freshest trends, big time challenges, and most excellent triumphs of clinical trials. I'm Hannah, your host. Join me as I chat with industry experts, trailblazers, thought leaders, and most importantly, the people benefiting from clinical research. So tune in, settle back, and don't touch that dial. It's time to get Totally Clinical. Today, I'm joined by Craig Lipset, advisor and founder at Clinical Innovation Partners. A former head of innovation at Pfizer, Craig is at the forefront of innovation in clinical research and medicine development, bringing vision and most importantly, action at the intersection of research, digital solutions and patient engagement. During this episode, Craig talks about decentralized trials, elaborating on how they're changing, how we think about what a site is, especially in the post-COVID era, and explains how Techro can help to support this transition. Welcome to the podcast, Craig. Great to have you here. Now, while I think many listeners will be familiar with you, could you start by explaining more about your background? I was at Pfizer, as you mentioned in that intro, for about a dozen years, including time as head of clinical innovation. But today I split my time in a few different directions. I do work as an advisor and board member with a number of organizations, both for-profit, non-profit, uh, both technology and service providers, but also pharma and research sites. I work as an educator. I am on the faculty as an adjunct assistant professor at Rutgers University in health informatics. I continue to work as an innovator and help a number of very young startups come to life to try to make their impact in the field. And I'm an advocate. I serve as a, a board member for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, uh, where I serve as vice president on their scientific advisory board, but also as a patient myself. So I am splitting my time in a number of different directions, but they're all surrounding the same challenge. How do we identify and scale innovative new opportunities to impact clinical trials and medicine development. There's a lot of hype around decentralized trials. COVID-19 triggered a lot of changes and we're seeing a long-term industry shift towards decentralized or at least hybrid trials. What aspects do you believe will stick or not stick post-pandemic? That is a great question and it is the big question right now. Certainly decentralized trials weren't new. They existed prior to the pandemic. In fact, in January, just before the COVID lockdowns, I had presented a slide on the 17-year uh, history of decentralized trials at the Scope Summit just a few months before things started locking down. Now, my theme for that slide was we had an oversupply in the market. Given all of the investment, given all the capabilities being announced, we really didn't see widespread adoption. We saw a number of pharma that had interesting experiments at best. Now, during the pandemic, certainly we needed resilience. We needed countermeasures in this unpredictable environment to make sure that patients could still access investigational product. Safety could still be monitored. Efficacy data could still be collected. And a host of other concerns at the site level and the clinical operations level and decentralized research methods just made a lot of sense. Being able to introduce opportunities for video and remote visits using whether uh, visiting 
training nurses or other innovative approaches. And so today we see organizations that have made changes to their SOPs and training. They've made changes to their protocol templates. They have identified new types of partners and vendors that can help fill gaps. And they're systematically reviewing their protocols to look at where there are visits in the schedule that can be enhanced or supported by offering patients more choice and flexibility. Now, there is a DCT 1.0 that is being widely embedded by many, if not most, of the top pharma today, whether that's including electronic informed consent and our use of uh, electronic diaries or other types of opportunities for remote monitoring or services such as visiting nurses and our ability to extend the supply chain for patients in the home. Many of these are commitments that are already established in many organizations. There's also a, a wide number of what I'd think of as almost DCT 2.0 opportunities that companies are experimenting with today, whether they're mobile or pop-up sites and a range of other opportunities. So I think that when, I, uh, when we look beyond the pandemic, this willingness to challenge the assumption that a patient has to come in for every visit will outlast COVID-19 and the appreciation that regulators are receptive to innovation. You mentioned there that effectively decentralized trials are changing the way we think about sites rather than them being in one physical location like a hospital or a clinic. Clinical trials can be more local, a doctor office, lab, etc. What challenges do you believe this will pose? Our challenges for clinical trials remain the same, whether the patient is coming into the clinic for every visit or staying at home for every visit or any permutation in between. We have to ensure patient safety and we have to have confidence and be able to demonstrate data quality and integrity. Those are no different when we're starting to unlock other locations where a patient visit can take place. We still have to have confidence in our data flow, and that does get more complicated when the data is being collected potentially in different locations. And we have to have confidence in the safety measures that we've deployed for monitoring our patients. Now, fortunately, most decentralized trials today are able to take advantage of a number of different remote monitoring technologies, specimen collection technologies, and otherwise that give us a much uh, much greater sense of flexibility and how we can monitor safety and how we can do so in ways that are not compromising data supply chain, data flow, data integrity. But we still have challenges. We have challenges today for sites around around topics like the complexity of various technologies that are being deployed. Uh, sites have always been trapped in this space of having to use so many different technologies on a study-by-study -study basis. That's only becoming an even more complex web in this world of decentralized the way we're implementing today. We also have a challenge around investigator oversight and helping investigators to ensure that they are able to fill their obligations in terms of serving as the GCP trained investigator for the trial. So what do I mean by that? As we're introducing more and more different stakeholders around the site, stakeholders that can improve access and convenience for patients, how do we as sponsors and CROs 
make sure we're continuing to fill our commitments and obligations around oversight and we're not separating the investigator from the patient through intermediaries that removes the investigator's ability to perform their function as the central party responsible for patient safety. You mentioned the communication gap between sponsors and CROs versus investigators. I recently discussed this topic with one of the founders of Icon and TechRose CMO, Brendan. The podcast focused on how sites generally need to be included in the conversation and what sponsors and CROs can do to change this. So it's really interesting you brought this up as well. Uh, now, we talk about the fact that there aren't enough investigators involved in clinical research and that unless we get more referrals, there aren't enough patients to participate in trials. How do you see DCTs changing either patient or physician engagement in clinical trials? When I was advisor and we were designing and starting to execute that first remote trial, one of the first fully decentralized trials with a product under an FDA's IND, I remember this distinct hallway conversation with our vice president of commercial development. And he stopped me in the hall and he had shared his reflection that if this model worked, we would be creating a new way to engage with treating physicians in the community. And that led to a conversation where we were talking about the options that we provide for physicians today. In today's world, we either A, invite a physician to become an investigator in a trial, or B, we ask that physician to refer their patient to be in a trial. Neither of these options are really fulfilling for the overwhelming majority of physicians in the community. I think about my wife, who's probably seeing patients in our dining room on video right now. She's never been an investigator in a clinical trial. She's a family physician uh, here in New Jersey. She's never been an investigator, and she's not interested in sending her patients away. If our models for equity in clinical research are dependent on physicians being investigators, then we have a broken system because we can't expect every physician in every country to be an investigator in every trial just to help ensure their patients have access to that study. And now likewise, stimulating referrals is something of a unicorn. We talk about it a lot, maybe from a recruitment strategy, we provide the site some template letters they can send out to physicians in the community. But remember in, in markets like the United States, physicians operate on a fee-for-service basis. They generate revenue to feed their families and support their practices by, by seeing patients. And if they're simply taking that patient and sending them away to be in someone else's practice, creating leakage to their practice, to their business, that's undesirable. You know, when I think about the state with my wife, as an example, as a primary care doc here in the U.S., if there is a patient who might be eligible for a study, she's not going to look for a study to send them into. She's going to refer them to a specialist. And that specialist is not going to be chosen by her based on whether they are an investigator in a particular study. She's going to send that patient to a specialist that she knows and trusts. And from then, we have the same challenge, serendipity. If the patient is seeing a doctor who happens to be an investigator in a trial that happens to be right for them, great. 
maybe they'll learn about the study. But short of that, slim chance. Now, if decentralized can let us enable a visit to take place at home or in a pharmacy, how can decentralized enable us to host those study visits inside the offices of a treating physician in the community? And just like the patient's home is known as 1572 in the U.S., marking it as a site, well, how do we think of the doctor's office in the community in the same way. So redefining the idea of a site also includes physicians' offices. This does make sense, considering the referral process isn't natural or easy, as you explained. How do you envisage this working? Having investigators supporting visits by video can start to enable new ways for us to unlock that new role for physicians in the community that that head of commercial development stopped me in the hallway about years ago. When we can enable patients to be seen consistently by video, how does that, or with the support of visiting nurses, how does that let the physician in the community no longer feel threatened by a referral? They don't have to send their patients away. They can keep them and offer research as a new option within their practice without necessarily having to be an investigator or an investigator in every single study in order for that to happen. I'm really excited to see these new types of models unlock. Some of them are going to be really nice consequences of the increased adoption of video and visiting nurses and other decentralized research methods to enable the vast majority of physicians to have a way to engage in research that they've never had before. Now, if we move to the topic of diversity, equality and inclusion, how do you believe that DCTs address challenges around these industry goals? Diversity, equity and inclusion have so many different sources in terms of why they represent a challenge for study participation in different countries. Some of the reasons for why there may be a lack of representation in a trial could simply be due to physical access, that the sites are just too distant, that they require time off from work and therefore marginalize those who may not be of sufficient uh, employment, that they can just have flexible time if you're salaried and taking time off from work in order to travel across town for a study visit, you're losing money. And so some of the uh, challenges for some may just be around access. In other cases, though, so much of the challenge around diversity and inclusion is around trust. And DCT alone doesn't solve trust. As we were talking about, decentralization can help in terms of enabling ways for your local trusted physician in the community to participate. Maybe we'll start to see more mobile and pop-up sites align and affiliate themselves closely with embedded trusted entities in diverse communities, whether churches or other locations that people in the community already know and trust. But importantly, there was a, a line I remember hearing from a, an advocate back when we were planning the Precision Medicine Initiative in the U.S. at the National Institutes of Health. The, the line that they shared was, you have to stop talking about building bridges into diverse communities and instead shift your thinking to building bridges out of diverse communities. And what they meant was just showing up in the community with a bunch of 
white people in white coats isn't going to earn you trust. That's not going to be a solution. Building the bridge in from where you're sitting. How do we begin by engaging in communities, listening to people around their challenges and helping to build the bridges out? So my long story short around this is decentralized can be a great enabler to support diversity initiatives for patients where physical access, geographic distance or the barriers in and of itself could be a solution. But where we're really trying to overcome longstanding issues around trust, decentralized can be a great tool that needs to be a part of a much larger toolbox that can make true and meaningful change in how people view research and access it across all different communities in, uh, in the different countries we're trying to touch. Let's look to the future. How do you envisage a typical site operating in five years? And at what point do you think DCT or probably more hybrid trials become standard operating rather than something shiny and new? Well, I, I guess my answer will be twofold here. On the one hand, I could say that sponsors are embedding this in their processes. You have some sponsors that have modified the template language in their protocols to include these methods systematically. And so as we see those types of changes in training SOPs, template language, the idea that these are no longer shiny and new, but become embedded is, 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 a, is, a, pretty, is a pretty good path. But as I mentioned, our current models are creating significant stress and burden on the research site staff. And so as I think about the coming five years, I do expect there will be some shifts in what decentralized starts to look like. I think that we can expect to see certainly this continuing trend about trying to offer patients choice and flexibility on a visit by visit basis. More and more sponsors are scrutinizing their protocols along those lines exactly, reviewing that schedule of events and trying to identify all of the ways in which a visit could take place. But the place where we need to see some transformation over the coming five years is to shift the mindset of sponsors and CROs, the mindset that to maintain control in my trial, I need to push study-specific technology down on the research site. Sponsors and CROs have done this for years myopically because of the perception that that improves quality. If all of my sites are using the same tools for all of my patient visits, I'll have more consistency, more quality, more confidence in my data flow and integrity. Of course, any site would laugh at that notion because they're being thrust upon with so many different technologies and tools for every study that they're touching in their portfolio. There's no way for them to use those in a consistent way of quality and ensuring integrity. Rather, the question going forward needs to become what technologies and tools is the site using? How do we have confidence in the minimum quality standards of that technology? How do we backfill and supplement them with technologies only when needed? And how do we as operators on the sponsor and CRO side focus not on pushing unfamiliar tech, but focus on interoperability? And how quickly do you think this mindset shift will happen? It's early days for those types of conversations. 
But as we start to think about product roadmap and as we start to see voices of sight get louder and more clear, I do have optimism that we are going to start down this type of journey over the coming years. Will that be a site model in five years or 10? I'm not sure, but I do have confidence that that will become a significant part of the future and hopefully improve quality in the process. Because when sites are able to use tech on which they're already trained, familiar and using every day, we'll have less training errors, less retraining needed. Um, People will just use the systems they already know. So I just wanted to go back to question one, and I think you mentioned mainly what will stick. And I'm wondering if you could specifically address what you don't think will stick. Plus, you called me out for not answering your question. You're like a, a bona fide journalist and uh, challenging <laughs> well, me like I that. I did used to be a journalist. <laughs> there you go. It comes through, <laughs> Hannah. One of the things that won't stick, I believe, is this chaos of lots of fragmented, disconnected tools and services that are getting thrust upon sites and other stakeholders. I think something else that will not be sustainable is to maintain this ambiguity of different services that pharma are contracting with directly that are wrapping around a site and expecting the sites to sign delegations of authority that they'll continue to be able to do their work even with these other foreign stakeholders unknown to them, contracted by the sponsor, kind of being uh, pushed around them. I think some of those models, quite honestly, are just not sustainable. But I guess on a closing note, I would say the thing of stickiness that has a risk of not sticking, that we all need to find ways to make sure it sticks, is this receptive mindset that so many of us embraced over the last two or three years. I won't say that you have to embrace decentralized, you have to embrace risk-based monitoring. You should be looking closely at these in your organization. But if I had one wish for what would stick coming out of the tragedy of the COVID-19 pandemic, it would be the receptivity that people have shown to try, to try in a thoughtful way to take calculated risk and introduce new approaches, new countermeasures, new strategies in our studies. This spirit of thoughtful risk-taking in whatever area we operate, managing and mitigating risk while also being able to embrace the new. If there's one thing that sticks coming out of the pandemic for all of us, I hope it's this. And that's your dose of Totally Clinical. You can download our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Please subscribe and leave a rating and review so more people can find the show. See you on your next visit. And remember to bring your friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.